welcome everyone to episode 39 of Today in the Scene. I'm Joe with Indie Arcade Wave, and this is my co-host Dylan from Galactic Battleground. Hey y'all, what's up? This week we will be diving into an indie that some of you are probably familiar with at this point. Um, I know we spoke to Dan at DSM Arcade about it, um, and that's called Switch and Shoot. So this awesome game is a one-button shoot-em-up that is very difficult and addictive. It was very hard for me in the arcade in the beginning, and I've kind of started to figure it out on the PC, so you should try it out. But uh, with us today is the creator, Matt Glanville. How are you doing today, Matt? Hello. I'm doing well, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we finally got everything set up. We've been talking for a little while. I just want to remind everybody that if you like what we're doing here at Indie Arcade Wave, don't forget to subscribe and share the videos, let your friends know about them, um, other devs, stuff like that. We just want to spread this, help the community grow, and help new developers get into developing. So with that, Matt, just tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what you do um, so that the viewers kind of know a little more about you. Yeah, yeah. So um, so I'm a, I'm a solo indie developer. Um, I'm based in the UK in, in Leeds. Um, and so I basically spend um, full time making games. Um, I've released three full commercial games so far. Um, released a bunch of other games in the past, um, uh, but but yeah, that's my that's my thing. Um, I, I spend as much time as I possibly can making games on my own. Um, I have a little bit of help here and there, but it's mostly mostly me doing the pixel art and the programming and the game design and animation and plugging in any sounds or music I can find. Um, that's my thing. Awesome. On the lines of you. Uh making video games when did you get involved with video games and what were your earliest memories uh when oh man it's it's hard to remember exactly when but let me think um it was, it was definitely around sort of the mid 90s um so i was born in 84 so when i was maybe about 11 12 around that kind of time um i was playing stuff like starcraft uh, the first starcraft came out in half-life um and back then it was kind of really common for pc games to come with level editors um so so that was always something that really appealed to me um that i just thought like that's so cool i could be making my own games or like in my own levels for games so so i'd often buy these games um sort of on the on the basis of being able to make stuff for them um and that's how i really got stuck into it um so yeah half-life starcraft that kind of stuff and then um soon after that um, i was playing a lot of jrpgs like final fantasy 7 and suikoden um breath of fire 3 those those kind of games um and and i came across um RPG Maker 2000. Um, actually, I think RPG Maker 95 I first started on, but it was it was way harder to use. Um, so moved over to 2000 when I found that, and um, there was this really vibrant community back then. Um, so this is jumping ahead a little bit to like yeah around around the year 2000, um, and I just got completely sucked into this world of of making JRPGs or you know J- Japanese styled. 16-bit kind of games um ended up making a a trilogy of games called legion saga which were um i guess fairly well known in in the community at the time um 
and and I guess by that point, you know, I was hooked. It was like this is <laughs> this is what I love doing. Um, couldn't stop. Um, never did stop. <laughs> um, so so that was like my entry, I guess. Um, eventually, that that moved on to. Um, I spent a while not really knowing kind of what I wanted to do in life. Um, you know, as a career, as I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, it never really occurred to me that making games was a career for people. You know, it was just like, I like making games as a hobby, uh, and I like playing games. But um, back then, developers were to some extent invisible. At least, you know definitely compared to what what it is like now you know you don't nowadays you can kind of reach out and speak to developers within you know before you've ever even played their games you might have spoken to them on twitter or whatever but back then it was just you didn't really know the developers at all at least not at least i didn't you know as a kind of you know young adult um so so i spent a while not really knowing what what I wanted to do um, and eventually um, kind of gradually came to this conclusion that, or this realization that a career in games is, is possible. And um, that's a thing that people do. Um, so I started making steps to, to making that my, my career, my kind of, you know, that became my goal in life really then was to get into the industry Um which I did around 2000. Well, in 2010, I uh, started working at EA um, down in Guildford in, in England. Um, worked on a few games there, worked at a bunch of other studios. Um, eventually uh, got a job working on um, Oddworld's New and Tasty, which was a pretty, uh, pretty big deal for me being a fan of the original game, Abe's Odyssey. Um, so so and that was a that was a huge kind of milestone in my career i'd say because i had a a pretty hands-on role um being the only designer on the project um i had to you know touch everything in the game to some extent you know i had had a a hand in every part of it so i got to really see how like you know every part of the machine was working um so that was a huge huge moment and and not long after that is actually when I came up with Switch and Shoot. Um, so that was like, in a nutshell, my kind of history through the industry, I guess, and getting me to the stage I'm in now. Super rad. Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds awesome. And that's really cool that you you took kind of like the traditional route. I guess the mm-hmm. the way that it works now is a lot different. I mean, you can be a 15-year-old kid in your basement who's developing games and just throw it up on Steam and now you're a developer. Um, And you have social media to reach out to people and find people that like the game. But back then you had to go through a studio really, unless you had a backer, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a really good point. I was sort of getting into it around the whole time that, um, you know, like indie games were becoming a thing and, um, and stuff like Kickstarter was, was relatively unheard of at this point. And, um, I think the the general consensus was like it's the only option is really to go and work in a studio, you know, and then and gradually you start to get this buzz of like people thinking, well, I could 
do this myself you know <laughs> like i've got the i've got the know-how to do it i've got like you know a group of people who want to do something similar like you started to see little groups kind of peeling off from the bigger studios and um and doing their own thing which is it's pretty exciting time i remember right and i mean so many of these indie games came out of groups that were already at a big studio and they just kind of worked yeah. out as, on it as a side project and they were like let's just make our own studio exactly um, yeah so I guess that kind of leads into what I was curious about next, which is uh, what did the development of Switch and Shoot look like? Where did you draw inspiration? And I just want you to kind of tell us the story of how it came to be. Sure, yeah. Um, what did the development look like? Uh, it was it was a lot of um, lunch breaks, evenings and weekends uh, because I was still working a full-time job at the time. Um, so, so it was made in like one to two, one to three hour bursts, you know, as much as I could. Um, I think uh, it started when I was just messing around with the mechanic, like um, uh, that, that idea for like a, um, like a, a, a ship, or it wasn't even a ship. It was just like something moving across the screen. Um, and, and every time you press the button, it flips directions um and and shoots at the same time like that that just like distilled little um nugget of gameplay or that one mechanic just kind of popped into my head one day um which is like really like if you played the game you know it's kind of that that is the game for the most part like there's not a whole lot else wrapped around it but um but like i kind of realized quite quickly that 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 works really well and so i stuck with that um so really it was just a case of like layering things on top of it and seeing like what else I could add. Um, and as I say, like at the start, I, I didn't even intend for it to be a shmup. I didn't intend for it to be like kind of this retro arcade themed game at all. Like all of that just kind of naturally um, emerged from, from what it was and what it felt like to play. Just this idea of like moving across the bottom of the screen and it's like, okay, well like make sense for things to come down um makes sense for the screen to be vertical because then you've got less um you know you, you don't you can't just kind of go on forever horizontally you've got to like think think really carefully about where you're positioned um, um and then it was like okay well you know um what could i do as one person with limited um artistic um experience you know i can't do like elaborate 3d models and complex animation or anything like that so i could do like some pixel art um might be quite cool to just make it black and white originally it was just black and white there was no other colors and then i started to like layer in a few more colors there so it's got like yellow for the power-ups red for the aliens blue for the shields um all this stuff just kind of emerged as i was tinkering and seeing what worked and what didn't and all the time thinking about what i could do with with my limited resources. Um, so yeah, that was, um, working on that was like, just in my spare time, I didn't have plans for it to be commercial or anything like that. Um, I actually left it kind of sat on a shelf for, for a good number of months um, after I made the original sort of prototype, I guess. Um, it was just like a fun little prototype. And then a friend of mine um, was running an event or working at an event and, um it was a it was a private party i believe but they had um 
it had like a kind of arcade themed zone at this event and they wanted just like a, a random you know mishmash of any kind of little simple arcade games that that were available so he asked if i had any had any and i was like yeah yeah i've got this thing i've been working on like i need to kind of polish it up a little bit before it's um in a good state to put in front of people you know um so i did that and then in in doing that i kind of realized actually <laughs> this is like this is good yeah there's something here so i shouldn't really just leave it i should probably release it um so i carried on working on it um and was kind of flipping between whether it's going to be a pc game or a, or a mobile game um and was trying to sort of develop both side by side um and in the end i think i think i just i scrapped the mobile version because it was giving me a lot of headaches uh, like i'd never developed for android before and and it was just like there's so much to try and learn here and i was doing it you know like midnight in in my bedroom like um while my my partner's trying to sleep and like it was just i was just getting really frustrated with it so like okay i'm going to ditch the ditch the android version at least for now um just focus on the pc version get it out on steam um add all the bells and whistles that kind of make it shine on steam so like achievements leaderboards um trading cards all that kind of stuff um just double down got it finished got it out um and and that was that was it i couldn't like breathe a bit then and, and move on to other projects because <laughs> it was an intense kind of few months i remember working on that to get it done uh, but that was like a super valuable experience like I, obviously i'd worked on games in the past by this point i um, worked on four like major studio titles and i'd seen them through to completion but i'd never actually been um the only person responsible for shipping a game for commercial purposes so this was like a real a real big like learning experience and jumping in at the deep end to to um make sure i could get it done and actually release it you know um, yeah as far as like my inspirations go like i said it was kind of like mechanics first and then and then what can i drape around that so I was looking at old, you know, like the kind of obvious classic, like Space Invaders and Gallagher and that kind of stuff. Um, just that really kind of bare bones pixel art aesthetic. And then that carried over into the arcade cabinet artwork as well. So I have um, I have this like illustrations on the sides of the of the screen, which were done by um, an old college friend, Paul Duffield, who's now a, a professional illustrator. So I got in contact with him again and asked if he would do do these illustrations which he he did and they look awesome and i'm, I'm so glad uh yeah, that he fantastic. agreed to do it they're so cool they are cool aren't they and um they, they get a lot of comments so i'm really really pleased with how that turned out um so yeah we were looking at like the old space invaders arcade cabinet artwork and using that for for reference and then the other big point of reference that i always bring up um is um well, for, first of all, people always ask me if it if it's like based on Downwell or if I was the creator of Downwell, and I always have to tell people no, because I think, as far as I remember, Downwell didn't even exist at the time, um, or at least like I wasn't 
particularly aware of it. Um, but the, the one kind of other sort of touchstone, which I do always bring up is, is Flappy Bird. Um, because Flappy Bird is the same kind of like single button input or single tap input. Um, and I, I really heavily used it as a model for like the rhythm, like the pacing of the game. Um, I, I was really adamant that I didn't want to have these like really long um, sequences when you like fail and then have to go through a long animation to get back into the game again. It was like, I loved how in Flappy Bird, it's just like, oh, I screwed up, tap, restart, go again. And you, you're like straight back in. I thought that was just absolutely crucial for how um, how compelling that game was and how like how much it made you just want to try and have another go and beat your last score. Um, so that was a that was a really influential game. Um, yeah, I mean, even I though like they... that's that's amongst the most frustrating part of the game, but it's also like the biggest driving force for me. Um, right. And I just looked up Downwell, and that came out in 2015. So 15. Okay, so it was. So it came out before Switch and Shoot was finished, but it was but it was after I kind of started and pinned down most of the design. So yeah, I, th- I think I can get away with that. <laughs> so how long after did it take you to connect with Dan and wanted you to put it into an arcade cabinet after the release? How did you connect with him? Yeah, that was another that was another kind of big gap actually because I'd gone off to so i finished the game and i went off to work on the next odd world game on soulstorm um and um i was i was busy doing that and dan reached out to me because he was starting up this company um he built a few arcade cabinets as kind of a hobby thing and like for friends and family i think by this point um and he was looking to move into um creating a business out of it and and you know making some proper cabinets for indie games. So he was looking for indie games to, um, to, to build cabinets for. Um, and, and he's told me um, him and his wife were, were like trawling through steam, looking for games to, that would be a good fit. And they came across switch and shoot. Um, and, and he tells me that it was just like, that's perfect. Um, perfect match, which, I, I agree. Like I'd never set out to make an arcade game, but it's a it's a perfect fit, I think. So yeah, they um he got in touch with me, um, just said, Do I want to do it? And I said, Yeah, that sounds great. Like I looked at the cabinets he built already, they look really cool. Um, I was impressed with that. Um he showed me some designs for like the shapes of the cabinets and ideas for directions we could go in. There was a bit of back and forth as we sort of figured that out. Um but yeah, I, I struggled to remember exactly when that was, but it was at least, I want to say it was at least a year or two after I released the game. Um, must have been something like that, yeah. Um, yeah, and then we kind of, you know, we stay in regular contact and um, keep coming up with, like, you know, potential little ideas that we could do if we ever did another version or any changes, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, um, little little tweaks as we go because it's now in I think like six six or seven um, arcades and bars across America. So um, every now and then there's like little tweaks that we need to make or like something's not working for the particular setup in a particular location. So so they ask for some changes, you know, like um, like I think one place um, 
the 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 music on the title screen was um a little too overbearing in the kind of particular setup they had so so we added an option to turn that off and adding options to like change like to tune the amount of credits you get for each quarter you put in and that kind of stuff so like each venue can really have a bit more control over what they do um it's kind of evolving as it goes i guess um so it's very ar- arcade specific tweaks mm-hmm. yeah absolutely for for the game itself um have you played the actual cabinet yet or are you still waiting to do that no i'm still waiting because i because i live in the uk and i haven't had a chance to get out there yet um I've never seen one in the flesh, which is really frustrating. And, you know, we were hoping, my wife and I were hoping at some point we'd be able to get out there. And then apparently this, there's this pandemic thing that's like, means that we can't do that. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it's <laughs> in the world a little bit. Yeah. That's pretty annoying. Um, but yeah, so, so no, never seen one in the flesh, but Dan did build me a, um, like a mini cab. So, cause I take the game to various events around the UK, um, or at least I did last year before last year. Um, I asked him if he could possibly build me uh, like a smaller version that I could just stick in the back of my car, take to an event, put it on a tabletop and just like, plug my laptop into the back and have it running there. Um, so he did, and and that's about as close as I've got. But it's like a half height, you know. Imagine if you just kind of took the like the control panel and just sliced everything below that off. Um, so there's no yeah, the, like the coin, the kind of thing you can throw like on a bar top, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then it's just got like a um, a monitor in there on its side, so it's right. upright. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so that's as close as I've got. But it does have the one button setup, which was like a big part of what makes that arcade cabinet special i think there's just like uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it it's basically just like um you've got your screen and then below the screen there's just like a black um you've got your regular black kind of panel where all your buttons would be but there's just one big red glowing button in the middle because it's a one button game like everything is done with that one button um so that's like to me that's just um like that's kind of a defining feature of the game and certainly in the arcades um the fact that it's kind of there's only one button it just raises so many questions if you don't know anything about the game and it, like our hope was always that it would draw people in just through that alone you know like how do i <laughs> how does this even work how do right you play yeah a game I, with one button? I, I love the aesthetic of the one button i know we spoke with uh tony hauber from death ball a while back about um i think it was mario 64 and how they had only like the like with a three button combination there were like 64 or some crazy amount of like right. different things you could do with it and it's the same in your game i mean you use one button you're changing directions you're you're picking up a power up you're shooting you're avoiding enemies like you're navigating the screen it's it's all happening at one time with one button yeah <laughs> um so other than switch and shoot what other games are you working on right now or uh, have you name? well what other projects oh, have you worked on i guess uh, so yeah, so since Switch and Shoot, I've released two other games. Um, I released one called Ghost Grab Three Thousand, which is another score chasing arcade game um, about a robot, like a, a tiny robot who's who's left after humanity's been wiped out by some unknown apocalypse. Um, it's a little robot that's going around cleaning up the lost souls of humanity by grappling them all together with this grapple beam um so you're kind of weaving circles around ghosts and trying to tag them all in and the more you tag at once 
the higher score multiplier you get, it's just like a wave-based, score-based thing. You go as long as you can, grab upgrades, upgrades as you go. Um, so that was my, that was one of my games I did after Switch and Shoot. Uh, there's also another game called Singled Out, which is another arcade game, kind of like uh, Guess Who with a sniper rifle. Um, so like you're looking at a crowd of these weird alien creatures and one of them is a galactic super criminal um, and you're given three traits to to use to identify them so like they've got you know one big eye and like weird floppy ears and a big goofy grin you've got to find out find the person in the crowd who matches that description and then take them out um, and, but you only get 10 seconds to do it so it's like super tense super frantic um so those were my two release games. Those are both out on PC and Switch. Um, and then right now I'm working on Dungeon Death Ball, which is uh, it's a turn-based tactical roguelike death sport um, where you have a team of prisoners in a dungeon and they are pitted against a team of monsters. Um, and and they, they have to run this gauntlet to try and win the game of Death Ball. No relation to the arcade game Death Ball. Um, another accidental overlap. <laughs> um, but yeah, if they if they survive this gauntlet, then they get to go free. And if not, they end up as bloody smushes on the floor. Um, and and yeah, that's it. I've, I've done like a bunch of prototypes in the last few years as well. Um, but those are the ones that really kind of like got some traction and made it to the finish line or almost to the finish line. Gotcha. So Dungeon Death Ball is the only one that you're currently working on right now. It is. Yeah, it's in early access on Steam. Um, and it's very nearly done. It's got like maybe a couple more months work. Um, yeah, it's it's almost alpha. Um, and that's, yeah, that's currently, that's my kind of current main project right now. Gotcha. So and along the line of developing, any tips you would have for new developers getting just getting started? Um, tips for new developers, I think like this is something that I think a lot of people say, but it's, it's worth repeating, um, which is that you should really aim small. Um, and when you think you're aiming small, you should probably aim even smaller because you're not aiming small enough. Um, so like it's really easy to to get grand ideas in your head or even what you think don't think are grand ideas but are actually will take a really long time to implement and a really long time to um iterate on and get to a state that you're happy with um that whole process of making games like it just takes such a long time and there's so many hidden traps that you can fall into um of like you know hitting bugs or like implementing something that doesn't work out exactly as you expected it to and then you have to redesign it as you go and now it's like there's you know there's a dozen dozen other things hooked into it depending on it that also break when you change it like there's just so much that can go wrong and um the the experience of making a game and finishing it and releasing it is as i said earlier it's just like it's just a really valuable experience to have um which will make it easier to make your next game so the sooner you can complete that loop of starting a project 
getting it to finished and and releasing it or maybe not even releasing it but um getting it into a state that you are happy to call done um that's like that's that should be your first goal really i think um and the smaller the game is the quicker you can get to that point and the the better your next game will be and the more informed you will be in all the decisions you make for your next game as well. Um, so that's my that's my top tip, I think, is just aim small. And then when you think you're aiming small, aim even smaller. I think that's a really, really good advice. I mean, I think, we, I think if I'm right, I believe it was Street Cleaner and Brooks that said something very similar. They were talking about how people start with such ambitious pro- like projects and they need to just focus down on the core and get the core done and if that's done, release it. But you can always add on later. Like, don't sure. try and overwhelm yourself with a million things when you could just focus on a hundred. Yeah, yeah. And also, actually, I, I, something else which really helped me um, to to actually get to that point, like something that's a bit more practical, I guess, is um, this idea of like putting rocks in a jar. Have you heard this analogy for like for for projects? I have maybe. I I don't know if I know exactly where you're going. Okay, so so um, this is some advice that I had a few years back um, working on a project, um, and it and it really helps me like day to day managing my tasks. Um, so so imagine that um, each pro- each task you do to finish your project is a is a rock, and you're putting the rocks into a jar, and the jar represents the time you've got to complete the project, right? So so when that jar is full, you've run out of time. Um, if you spend your time putting in tiny rocks, so like little bitty tasks that aren't that important, um, you will fill up the jar and then you won't have any more space to put in the big stuff. So you'll run out of time and you haven't done the important things. If you start with the big ones, then you've got space to fill in the gaps um, with the little stuff. Um, you need to make sure that you like hit those big um tick those big important boxes off first and then like come back and do the smaller stuff when there's time. And by the way, there probably won't be time (laughs) because you'll, because stuff takes longer than you expect. Like you will, you'll be surprised how much stuff you have to cut. So like make sure that the stuff you're cutting is the stuff that isn't that important that you don't actually care that much about. And that isn't going to sell copies if that's your goal. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that is really good. I have I've seen a similar analogy where they um, they do like uh, it's like golf balls, and then you fill it in with like smaller pebbles, and then there's right. sand, and like it takes a lot to fill up this jar. Yes. Um, and you're right. I mean, if you if you spend all your time on the little stuff, you get to the end, and the game is polished, but the game isn't functional, and you're you're yeah, missing yeah. so many large components that make the game fun. Exactly. Um, I find it really interesting to ask developers. Um, I know you're working on a couple projects or a project right now um, as to what indie games they're playing to kind of see uh, what they like primarily. Cause I mean, there are certain indie games that I absolutely love and there are indie games that I'll play three, four times and then be kind of eh about them. But I just, I, I'm kind of interested as to what games you focus on and what indie games you've been playing lately. Yeah, um, what have I been playing lately? I've actually been playing a lot of retro games lately. Um, I did play a short hike. Uh, I think I was listening to one of your recent episodes, and I think they uh, 
forget who it was now, but they, um, I think they mentioned a short hike as well. I played that last month and absolutely loved it. I um, mean, it's it's a million miles away from the stuff that I'm making, but that was just a, a really great little experience. Um, I've been playing a lot of Cave Noir. Have you heard of that? I haven't heard of that one, no. It's an old, um, like, traditional roguelike from 91. It was on the Game Boy, so it's not an indie game, but it's, um, it's kind of closer to the kind of stuff that I like to make. Um, it's a really streamlined little roguelike with um, this quest system where you can kind of dive into, like, um, you, you, instead of just having, like, one big um, randomly generated run of a game, you have, like, four smaller little quests, and it's like, okay, dive in and kill three monsters, and then you kill three monsters, and it's like, cool, you completed that quest, and you go back to the sort of main hub, and then... And then you can dive in again. It's like, right, this time you want you to kill four monsters. Um, or you can go and try this other quest, which is like find five gold or something like that. And then, then when you've done that, you can do find six gold. And each time it just gives you a little bit more to aim for and a little bit deeper into the dungeon you need to go. But like really early on, you get this sense of completion and satisfaction rather than like what most roguelikes have, which is... When you first start playing, you just you just die loads and don't get very far at all for ages. Um, I, I I really like that complete kind of flipping that on its head. Um, I also I've been playing what other rogue likes of it. Uh, sorry, what other indie games have I been playing? Um, I cannot even remember. Mostly retro games right now. <laughs> That's what I've been hearing from a lot of people. I mean, I remember. Uh... Martin was talking about that. Uh, the guy who created Gravitrex was saying, yeah, he's just playing like some old Atari games, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much good stuff, right? That like it goes under the radar and it's full of like interesting things that could be learned and um, used in in modern design. It's like, yeah, yeah tons I of mean, good stuff. There's there's just been so many games created at this point that. When you're on the system and you're you're playing the games that are popular, the games that are hot, you overlook so many other games. Then you go back five years and you're like, "Wow, this is really something that I should have played, and I want to try." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like you quite often mention to someone that you, that you never played it, and they're like, "What? How did you never play this game?" It's like, well, you know, I, it's not that I wasn't playing anything. I was like playing games all the time. It's just that... they only released like a couple thousand games for the console. Like, I've missed it, right? <laughs> Right. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I guess to wrap everything up, I just want you to throw out your social media links so that everybody can find you and check out your games. Yeah, so um, everything can be found on my website, which is just mattglanville.com. That's my name, M-A-T-T-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E.com. Um, my Twitter is um, at crowbarscar, crowbar, S-K-A. Um, and all my other social stuff is the same handle pretty much. Um, so like Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook. Um, I have a, a Discord that I run, which you can find on my website as well. And where people chat about game development and any old nonsense. <laughs> I have a mailing list as well. I have a, a Patreon. Um, and then I guess my Steam creator page is another uh, another big one to follow if you're interested in my games. Um, but all of these are on my website, just mattglanville.com. 
Awesome. Well, I'll throw all those links in the description too, so that uh, anybody listening that wants to check it out can go check it out. Um, I want to say thank you again, Matt, for coming on. Awesome. As well as if you guys like what we're doing here again, um, don't forget to subscribe, like, share, all that stuff. And if you are listening on the podcast and are interested in seeing gameplay for these games, they are on the YouTube channel with the interview again. We'll have the gameplay playing over it. Um, So you can get a better idea of kind of what these games look like and feel like. Until next time, peace.